Well, it's a great day. Man, it's a great day. I love this time of year. I love uh, this Easter season. Actually, for us, it's Easter all year long. Amen? He's resurrected. He's alive. He's well. And that means we're alive and well. And, and we're built up and strengthened every day. And so we're excited about it. Amen? And I just I, I love this time. We, we're in the middle of a series today and next Sunday um, entitled Love's Triumph. Love's triumph. God is love, and so God triumphed on our behalf on the cross, did he not? He triumphed, he overcame on the cross. And today we're going to talk about, um, Amanda mentioned Palm Sunday and, and the passage of Scripture that, or the passages of Scripture that talk about uh, Palm Sunday in my Bible, in the heading, in, in a passage we're going to read, read right now in Luke 19, um, it says the triumphal entry, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He came into Jerusalem with his disciples um, before the Passover, and he was to become the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover sacrifice that had been there had been sacrifices for hundreds into the thousands of years on behalf of, of mankind for the sins of man. And the Passover represented what happened with Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. The Passover was that the death angel passed over those who had their doorposts marked with blood. And the blood was from a sacrificial animal. Well... Jesus enters in in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday in this time and preparing the way. And like we sang Hosanna today and there were palm branches and they took their coats off and they laid them down for him, you know. And it wasn't a very short period of time that those that laid their coats down were ready to stone him, you know. Isn't it funny how people are? One minute they love you and the next minute they're ready to cut your throat. Anyway. It's funny how mankind is. But mankind doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be that kind of a person. Love one minute and not the next. Amen? You don't have to be that type of a person that treats other people that have been created in the image of God that way. You don't have to be that person. And so today we're going to talk about on this Palm Sunday, we're going to read a few verses of Scripture. We're going to talk about what his entry in this period of time was about and, and what, it, what it says for us today. Because, you know, you can, read about, you can read stories in the Bible and you can talk about different stories and things that have happened in the Bible. But if you don't get them relating to you, they don't really do you a lot of, a lot of good. Because you can read history, you know, and, and the Bible is a great history book. But it's, it is the only book of life. The difference between the Webster's Dictionary and the Bible is that the Bible has the potential to produce life. The Webster's doesn't, right? And, and the Bible, it's the most, uh, it's the number one seller of all time, of all time. There's the Bible, and then everything else is about right here down. It's the bestseller of all time. And it sits on many people's shelves in their home. And the fact that it sits there 
it does not transform that household because it's on the shelf. It has to come off the shelf, out of the pages, and get down in your heart. Amen? And that, that's what empowers you and I to not be that type of a person that loves one minute and hates the next. We don't have to be that. And the world is looking for people that know that and know the difference and that they'll live that way. Amen? Um, th- this year, um, before I read this verse, I just I want to say this. This year, uh, I've had and have and, and have the rest of this year I've got a number of invites and opportunities to preach in other places, actually other places even around the world. I've had, I've had invites for that. And in the last few years, um, God told me for the most part not to go anywhere. And uh, there were different reasons. And, you know, an, an invite to go and preach somewhere is, is an honor but it doesn't mean that every time someone asks you to come that that's what you're supposed to do. You have to do what God says. But this year, <clears throat> I've, had, I've had a number of different invites. This last week, I was in two different churches, one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday night in the Dallas area, and I was preaching. And, um, and it, it, the, the, the opportunity is, is given when you have something to invest when, when, when you because anybody can preach the word but then there's an imparting of the word as a result of what you believe and what works in your own life that is life-changing and and the impartation is what people need I, I was in two churches this week my wife and I were and had the honor to to bring word and prophesy over people and just being a part of those services. And, and God just showed me. He said, I, I, I actually heard God thank me for enduring. See, if, if you don't quit, you reap. And one of the things that you reap is revelation that you can only gain in the journey. You can only gain revelation in a journey that you don't quit. And, and everybody's had a journey. Everybody's been a part of different journeys in your life. And when, God, when you know that God has called you to do a specific thing, and, he, and, he's, and, and listen, see, when, when people hear that word calling, they think of grandeur. I don't see one calling in the Bible where there wasn't hell on earth in the calling. Not anybody's. The Apostle Paul, he was in deaths often. (laughs) Scourgings and beatings and all kinds, but in deaths often. And everywhere you see this guy writing to the different churches, in uh, in, in, uh, in, in the letter that he wrote to the, to the church at Ephesus, he was in the scum of the earth prison as he's writing this letter. I mean, the scum of the earth. The worst of the worst. There was prison, and then there was where he was. And it was the scum of the earth. 
But when you see his writings, especially in the epistles in Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in those writings, and, and, and half of those letters to those churches were in, were in these horrible prisons, I mean, he's rejoicing. See, there's a rejoicing because he, here's, here's a guy that was the up-and-coming star of the Pharisees. He was rising to stardom. He was persecuting the church. He, he, he did all kinds of things to destroy Christianity. And he was rising up and he met Jesus. He got born again. He met Jesus Christ. And in meeting Christ Jesus, his life turned around. And in meeting Christ and his life turning around, God gave him a focus and a vision for the future. But that focus and vision came over the next 15 to 20 years of him preparing his heart. He wasn't just sent out into ministry. There was a journey he had to walk through. Amen? And everybody walks through the journey. But I heard the Lord say to me this week, thank you for not quitting in the journey. Because I preached, I mean, I've preached in many churches, but I preached this week under a different type of anointing that came out of this house. See, so when, when, I'm, when I'm not here, and, and the rest of this year, several other times I'm going to be gone, but when I'm not here, I'm not gone just for some preaching engagement. I'm gone because God said, and I'm imparting, and, and what's being imparted is from the house, from the vision of the house, from the anointing of the house to the lives of other people. Amen? And, and so, so I said that because of what I'm going to share on today that I want you to really get and I want you to see what Jesus prepared and empowered you for in life. What this Palm Sunday represents and what we're going to see in the scripture here is what he did with a purpose and with a plan. Amen? In Luke 19 and just in verse 28... It says, when, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. This is the same story that Amanda read from another passage uh, earlier. And it came about, and, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mountain called Olive that he sent two of his disciples. I've stood on the Mount of Olives and, and the view looking, if I'm the Mount of Olives, across the Kindron Valley, up and through the valley there is the old walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he was on his way there to Jerusalem to prepare for what was coming. And nobody knew. I mean, they were worshiping him. Blessed, uh, his disciples were, 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 uh, were rejoicing as we, as we were singing today blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and the pharisees called to him this is in verse 38 and 9 and some of the pharisees called to him from the crowd teacher rebuke your disciples for giving you that kind of glory rebuke them they, they had no clue of what was fixing to happen but in verse 41 of luke 19 it says now as he drew near he saw the city he's looking out and he can see the city from the Mount of Olives as he's walking and, and through the Kindron Valley there. As he drew near, he saw the city and he wept for it. He wept for the city. His heart was for the people. He knew what was coming and he knew 
that every human being on the planet would turn their back on him in that moment and in that time. He knew that. He, he was beginning to sense that. When he was in the garden, the Bible says he began to sweat blood in the garden. I, I don't know how, but what, but what began to happen was that the, the sacrifice that he, was, that he was laying out and laying down was opening up, and, and he was beginning in his dying and being liberate and helping to liberate mankind. That was starting in the garden. He began to sweat blood because he began to see what he was going to have to go through. That one human being, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, would die and liberate all of mankind. And he began to see that. And, and our natural mind, all of us together, can't even comprehend what that was like. And what he went through for the sins and the sicknesses and the deliverance of all of mankind. The ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 <clears throat> says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. The song we say to, sang today, it is well with my soul. Amen? I will not be discouraged because I will allow his sacrifice to be my example of the way that I live and operate and the way I sacrifice. Amen? Because, see, the sacrifice for sin and sickness and disease and lack and everything that was, that, that was against man from the time of Adam, that sacrifice none of us carry. He's liberated us. Now our life is to take up what he did on a daily basis and learn to understand what that sacrifice looks like. Amen? Um, <clears throat> in, um, in 1 Peter 2, I want to I look at this. <clears throat> because... To, to understand a real sacrifice, you have to understand that sacrifice costs you something. It costs you something. Um, it says in a number of passages that Jesus counted the cost. If you're going to build something and you're going to be effective at it and you're going to finish what you're building, you have to count and prepare the cost so that you can not just get halfway there, but you can finish it. And in anything that we do, there is a cost. And what sacrifice is, is realizing that there's a cost and counting the cost and doing it anyway. Realizing what it's going to take and pressing through. First Peter chapter, chapter 2 and verse 5 says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
When Jesus entered in to Jerusalem that day from the Mount of Olives and he saw and he began to weep for the city, what he was weeping about was his sacrifice, him becoming the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus lived for 30 years and he prepared for 30 years for three years of ministry and his purpose on planet earth was to be born, to live, to die. That was his purpose. He was born to live, to die. And when he saw that, that he had to die for mankind, he began to understand, he counted the cost. And listen, if you don't think, if you don't think that Jesus had the ability to choose not to do it, then you don't understand this whole process. Because he had the chance to choose not to sacrifice for you and I, not to empower you and I. He had, the, he, had, he had the right to say, you know what? I've counted the cost, and it's too deep. It's too dear. It's too much. Father, I can't do it. I ask you to forgive me, but I just can't do it. I did my best. I've tolerated all these worthless bunch of scumbag people on planet earth. And and he said, I I, I grew up with all of them. And for three years of ministry, I taught them that they constantly operated in unbelief. They constantly didn't believe. They constantly were challenged all the time. They challenged me and challenged my patience. And I've just come to the place where I realized, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm done. I'm out of here. And you know what would have happened? All of humanity would have been annihilated. Because without the sacrifice and their connection with God, with mankind, there, then there is no God and man being one the way God intended it to be in the garden. See, the authority that God gave man in the garden, he never took that back. It's always been man's. Man gave it away. And God loved us so much. Love's triumph is that He loved us so much that he got that authority back for us. And Jesus made the choice after counting the cost. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised all the shame, everything that that goes with obeying and doing what God says. And he, he was the victor and he received the spoil, did he not? He received it. And you and I today are liberated and free. And now we... We are these people being built and strengthened daily to offer spiritual sacrifices for who? Look look the way the Amplified reads verse 5. Come and, like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house for a holy, dedicated, consecrated priesthood to offer up those spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ that are acceptable and pleasing. These spiritual sacrifices to do what? To build a house. What house? The church. See, the church cannot be built unless it's built on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who is the stone. But we're living stones that have to be, to to build the church, you have to offer up spiritual sacrifices you have to be willing to sacrifice for the good of others so that others can understand what this life is really about are we willing to do it 
That's what we're talking about today, and that's what we're looking at. So to sacrifice is to understand that it costs you something on a day-to-day basis. Your salvation costs you nothing. To walk and live in the truth of God and, and, and to live an overcoming life will cost you something on a day-to-day basis. Not, not the cost of salvation. Your salvation is free. But whether you do anything with it is what will cost you. And that's what you have to understand. That's what the scripture is very, very, very clear. I say it like this. No sacrifice, no reward. If there's no sacrifice, there's no reward. If Jesus had not offered himself, there would be no reward for humanity. Can you say amen? So look at Matthew 13. And then we're going to look at two stories in the Bible of sacrifice and the difference in them. Matthew 13 and verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He sacrifices everything that he has, and he buys that field. The Amplified says, The kingdom of heaven is like something precious buried in a field, which a man found, and he hid again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has, and he buys the field, because of the joy that's in his heart. See, what has to happen is, you and I have to understand sacrifice. Sacrifice isn't something that is demanded of you. It's something that you give. Did you hear me? Never misunderstand. When somebody's trying to get you to sacrifice your time, if you, if you do something because somebody's pressuring you, you're just going to be mad at them. There's no sacrifice. Then your heart's wrong, attitude's wrong, and everything else, you're getting nothing out of it. I'm going to say it again. Sacrifice is never demanded out of you. It's something you give because of your revelation and your relationship with him. Never anything that is demanded out of you. You can be asked to do something. Somebody may ask you, church life, job life, family life, I don't care what it is. Somebody may ask you to do something. When someone asks you to do something, your response determines where your heart is. Whether we like that or not, that determines where our heart is. Well, how do you know where your heart is? The only way, the Bible says that a man doesn't even know the condition of his heart except the Spirit of God that's in him. You don't really even know the condition of your heart if you're not in relationship with God. If you're not in a developing relationship with God where you're learning to hear his voice, do the things that he said, you don't even really realize the condition of your heart. And the only way for you and I to understand what a sacrifice is in a given situation is to know what he wants you to do right there. See, if you don't know what he wants you to do and you're trying to figure it out, anybody ever been asked to do something, you didn't do it, and then you felt guilty about it? Huh? See, you're feeling guilty because you don't know what the will of God is in that situation about what it is you're doing. I I can't tell you how many different times 
in my life when God has told me to do something that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do it. I argued with him, and then I kept arguing with him. And then I kept trying to justify my position. I tried to talk him out of it. Yeah, but God, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They're, they're not going to even notice. It, it, no, no, no. See, he, it was after him getting a hold of my heart to do what he asked me to do. You see, you think Jesus reasoned and argued with him? He did. Jesus, his will in the, in the garden, going into and preparing for his crucifixion, when he made the choice to do what was right, what did he say to the Father? Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. What does that mean? Jesus' will and the Father in that moment were not the same. You know what? That's a good thing for me because there are times when his will and my will are not the same. Huh? That's not what I want to do. But, Bert, are you willing to sacrifice? And then when you hear things from him, when, you, when, when you're in a place that you have revelation, there's nothing on planet Earth like having revelation. I'm not talking about just having information up here. But when you have revelation about what God will do because you've remained faithful, even when it was tough, even when you didn't want to, and you sacrifice for it, the sacrifice in your life is for the good of others. Was the sacrifice of Jesus for himself? Absolutely not. It was for all. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised all the shame and everything that they said and did toward him. He, he was in front of all the known world, you know, naked with no clothes. It doesn't matter what the pictures show you. He had no clothes on. His private parts were in front of everybody. He despised the shame because what he saw was you. And what he wants is for what he did to challenge you to do the same thing for the good of other people. That's what that triumphal entry was about. That's what love's triumph, God's triumph is all about, to empower you and I to do what Jesus did. He said, the works that I do, you'll do in even greater works because now I've gone to the Father. But to understand sacrifice, some of you sitting in here today, you've got to get your mind renewed from religious ideas of sacrifice because religion will shut you down or sacrifice because religion will demand acts out of you that you can't do. See, never do something out of regret and obligation and, and trying to please man. We have to come to a place where even when it's difficult, listen, I've never done anything for God that was easy. Never. I, I wish one of those things would come along, but I haven't had one thing yet that was easy to do. That I didn't have to put my faith out for to do. Why? Because he wants our hearts turned to him. See, when you do something and you remain faithful, even when people ridicule you or they criticize you or they chastise you or they make fun of you or you look like you don't know what the crud you're doing or whatever, I mean, it's worth it if he's telling you to do it. See, if that's what he's telling you to do because of what it will lead to and what you'll have for other people. If you, have, if you learn nothing along the journey except 
anger and bitterness and you're mad and you're mad at God and you're mad because things don't work out, if that's all you gained, you have nothing to give to anybody else. To hear his voice, to do what he says, and then follow through with it. No matter if it takes you six months, five years, or 50 years, but to follow through will produce the harvest. Right? Listen, I'm just telling you right now, the time that you have on planet Earth is a very short time when you consider all of eternity. See, you've got, this is our time on Earth, and this is eternity. That little bitty time on Earth is just a very short period of time. What the heck are we doing here? What are we supposed to be doing? You take the Bible and you boil it all down to what the will of God is for your life. He said, he said what pleases him is when my people do what they do by faith in me to trust him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anything that you and I try to do, anything that we attempt to do on a day-to-day -day basis when we're not developing our relationship with God, it's just, it, it becomes at times a waste of time. See, we're not here just to, just to develop careers. Careers are a part of it. We're not here to, you know, just get, get certain things uh, you know, done in life to where it looks like we're being successful. God wants us to be successful people. And those, the success comes in a life learning to sacrifice and do it God's way instead of your way. That's what he came into Jerusalem, and that's what he wept over because he saw a whole mess of people that were doing it their way, and he knew what it was going to take for them to really understand and do it God's way. Amen? And it wasn't just that if he died and he rose and ascended upon high that everybody was going to get it. He knew. He had vision and understanding that it was going to be a fight because of the, the opportunity and the access that the devil will, would continue to have in their soul. That's why your confession every day needs to be, it is well with my soul. Amen? Say it. it is well with my soul. Say it again. It is well with my mind, my will, my emotions. It is well with my soul. The Word is working mightily and strengthening and empowering my soul. I'm an overcomer. Listen, listen. if for the rest of your life you woke up every day with a knot in your stomach about something that you were going to face, if, that, if you woke up every day troubled by something, but you overcame within the next hour... And, and, and you live that way for the rest of your life, listen, it doesn't matter. And, and, and most of us are troubled at something during the day. Amen? It's not whether you're troubled or you get attacked or things come at you. It's what you do with them. Amen? And we live our life every day. It doesn't matter if you feel like doing it or not. Feelings have nothing to do with the will of God and the direction of where God is taking you. In fact, if your feelings aren't stirred up, you may not be doing much for God. It's just the way it is. It's a stirred up life. Does it look like out there in the world that they're stirred up? I imagine. Huh? So if you're going to be stirred up anyway, we might as well be stirred up with victory. Huh? 
It's not about being stirred up and and upset or or things or problems or issues or stuff that we have to deal with, but let's do it with victory. Can can you say amen? Let's be victorious day to day. Let's Let's win this battle of the mind and realize it doesn't matter what it looks like. What matters is what God wants out of me and from me. Amen? And today, I'm telling you, God is desiring sacrifice. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, it, it says that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Yes. Amen? But you know what? To get to obedience, you have to sacrifice. But obedience is greater than that. But to get there, you have to learn to sacrifice. Now, I'm going to read... Um, I want to read these two stories, and I'll be done. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10. Look at this story. And it starts in verse 17. Now as he, Jesus, was going on the road, one came running and knelt before him, and he asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, Jesus is saying this to this, this uh, my, the heading in my Bible calls him the rich young ruler. Kind of like a young guy's just become a millionaire by, you know, creating some new business on the internet or whatever, okay? Here's a, yet, a rich young ruler. And he said, these are the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. What did that mean? He went to church, and he knew the word, and he understood what was right and what he needed to do and so he kept everything to the best of his ability now watch him watch what jesus says and he said to him one thing you lack well that's not bad right so your life's going on and jesus you know actually the creator of the world the word of god looks at you and says uh there's only one thing you lack oh awesome Huh? I mean, the guy's probably thinking, whoa, wow, okay. Go your way, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Now watch this. It it wasn't just telling him to give everything away. He said, now come, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus just invited him into his world. The creator of the universe, which this guy didn't probably really understand that, but this guy's been manifesting miracles everywhere that he goes he just invited this rich young ruler into his world and there's one thing he had to do and what was the one thing the one thing was what had a hold of him see some people money didn't hold them but it did with this guy okay now people say well oh my gosh i I know a guy that took this passage of scripture he's he's not alive today but I know this guy, he got born again in, in the Rio Grande Valley in, in some of the Bible studies we used to hold. I used to hold Bible studies in car, car dealerships. And he got born again in one of, one of the meetings I was holding in, in a Chrysler dealer down there. And, uh, <clears throat> and he would tell me, he said, I'm so afraid 
that God is going to make me give everything I have away. That I'm having a hard time serving him. I love him, but I'm having a hard time, in other words, obeying him because I'm afraid he's going to tell me to do what he told the rich young ruler. Now, so, so see, people, some people look at it like that, but here is a sacrifice. Jesus was preparing him. Jesus looked at him, and he loved this guy. The lo- Bible says he loved him. Okay, it's not against him. He, he loved him. But he knew what the future was going to look like and what he needed to do. But notice what, it, what, what he says here. So Jesus, he looks to his disciples and he says, you know, uh, it's hard, how hard it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of God. People have taken that and butchered that to no end. I swear people have butchered that trying to convince people you can't have a dime and, and serve the kingdom of God. That's not what he was talking about. Because... Just to cut through it, and you can go read it yourself, but notice what he tells his disciples. Verse 29. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. He said, he said, many who are first, he didn't say all of them, but he said, many who are first will be last and the last first. You know what he was saying was this, with the rich young ruler. The rich, let's just say that the rich young ruler, let's just say he had a million dollars, okay? Let's just say that. What was Jesus trying to do for him? Two things. He was trying to get the control that possessions had on him off of him, and he was trying to get him a hundred million. Did he not say a hundredfold in this life? But the deal with it is when you sacrifice, it's with persecutions. See, he said it's with persecutions. See, so when you sacrifice and you do what the master says for your life, do not compare what other people do and say you have to do that because they did never. See, this was one guy. He never told anybody else that, that we have record of. Nobody. But this guy, Jesus knew. Not only, but listen, I believe this guy, I believe after Jesus, everything happened, we don't have record of him. There may be something in church history about him, but I'm not sure that it's actually legit or whatever. But... I believe that guy served him with all of his heart. He just screwed up in the moment. He missed out on about a year and a half uh, ministry opportunity with Jesus, you know, and, and missed out, probably delayed his hundred million getting to him, right? But I believe he got the revelation because after he died, he realized what he had had and the offer that he'd been given and, and, and realizing that I was concerned about this chump change over here when what God had for me was beyond anything that my mind could even ask or think of. See, but that's what sacrifice demands. Sacrifice demands certain things with persecution, with the possibility of, a, of like humiliation coming or people thinking that you're not all that or whatever. So what, what we do in, in our society is we, humanity tries to protect themselves and paint these pictures that, that we look good and, we, and we're all this because we don't want to deal with and have to go through certain things that have this appearance that we're not all that and we're not making it until we make it. 
See, all I want to do is just make it. I'm in the making business. When I heard God say that to me this week, to my wife and I, he said, thank you for enduring. I need, I need you to be able to go and talk to people and tell them how great I am and what I will do for them because you believe it, not because you just heard someone else preach it. You see, see, there's an impartation in that. There's not, it's not just giving people knowledge of stuff, but there's an impartation that changes lives. And that will not come without sacrifice. It will not. Okay? So look at this other story. I know we're, we're pushing on time, but I've I got to read this last story to you. And it's found in Luke 7. This is a great story. Ha! And this story has been a memorial throughout the, throughout the ages. See what the rich young ruler did? Ah, some people know about it, but this story everybody knows. Well, maybe you don't, but, you know, everybody else does. <clears throat> it sounds good. <clears throat> Luke 7 and verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city... <clears throat> Who was a what? She was a what? <laughs> she was a woman in the city known for being a sinner. Pretty shameful. Right? I mean, she, she, everybody knew her. She was the whore in the city or whatever. <clears throat> Where'd I go? Oh, there. <clears throat> When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She just kind of came on in to the Pharisee's house. See, she, in their world, because of her sin, she could be stoned, even right there in the guy's house. She's risking it all. It doesn't matter what they think. Amen? And notice this alabaster flask of fragrant oil in, in the Greek, in, in one of my definitions of this, um, <clears throat> it says that this alabaster oil was like a year's wage. A year's wage. Probably the average American makes, I don't know, 30000 a year, I think. is one, one, it, may, it may be a little higher than that now, 35000 a year. Somewhere in there, I don't know, between 20 and 30, somewhere. Let's just say that this alabaster, alabaster box with this oil in it is worth $30,000. It's a year's wage. So think about that when we see the rest of this. <clears throat> and she stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, no, he, he didn't say this to Jesus, he's just thinking this to himself. My gosh, this man, if he was a prophet, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't he know what kind of a woman this is and letting her touch him? What, what, what's going on? And so Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, this, no, this isn't Simon Peter, this is Simon the Pharisee. I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. 
There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 dinar and, and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely gave them, forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. That was the custom of the day, to have water to wash your feet from the dust and the things. But she has washed my feet. Man, it's overwhelming just to read it. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. Very customary to walk in and you kiss on either cheek. It's customary of the day. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You know, she's, she's listening to this because he's, he's looking at Simon and he's talking about her. And you know what she risked to come in there? She risked him saying, you filthy sinner, get your stinking hands off me. Do not kiss my feet. Get your hands away, that nasty, ratty old hair of yours, get it off of, my, off of me. I mean, she risked being treated like that. Why? Because she knew what offering this would do. Because what this actually was doing was preparing his, him for what he was going to go through. What this oil, the anointing oil on him to accomplish his task. And this woman sacrificed a year's wage and humiliation and shame and everything else. Did it sound like what Jesus did on the cross? He despised the shame, you know, endured the cross with joy for, for what he was going to receive, which was you and I, and liberated us. Notice it says, therefore I, I say to her, to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace. When you look at the fear, when you look at the fear of the rich young ruler and having to give something up that he thought was so precious versus the sacrifice of the woman that gave up a whole year's wage and shame and humiliation to be liberated and free. To me, those two stories are a picture of why Jesus wept when he entered Jerusalem. <clears throat> they said to him, Hosanna, in the highest. He comes in the name of the Lord. They laid these leaves down. They took their coats off. They laid the coats down. I forgot I had my microphone on. They laid the coats down, took their shirts off, all kinds of 
expensive clothing so his donkey could ride over that, preparing the way of their Savior. And in a short period of time, they're ready to crucify him and take him out. And what you and I do when we don't learn what sacrifice is all about is that we trample underfoot what the blood of Jesus accomplished. And God doesn't want us doing that. He wants you to understand it, embrace it, take it, and apply it to your life. And no matter what you sacrifice, I don't care what it is, I don't care. I'll just tell you this little story, and I'll end. Um, all, all my growing up, and I've told you this before, that I'm a gol- I was a golfer and played golf and all. And this week, <clears throat> this week is Masters Week in the golfing world. And all my growing up, it's all I envisioned myself playing in the Masters and winning it. And I envisioned, I, w- I would walk up the 18th hole at my dad's golf course and envision myself walking up the 18th at the Masters and with about a three-shot lead and winning the Masters. I envisioned that. I thought that's all I'd ever do. And when I was around 18 years old, I got saved. And it began to change because I began to realize that wasn't what God's plan was for me. And there was a lot of humiliation and shame to give that up. There was a lot of what people think and people would talk. And, well, I thought you were going to do this. And I thought you were going to do all this. And, and, and there was a lot of humiliation and shame that was really difficult for me not to be identified with that game. And 40 years later, you know, I love the game. I love this week. I love to watch the Masters and those kind of things. And, and I love it. I love to play it. But I may go six or eight or ten months and never even swing a club, and I never even think about it because it's not my life. He's my life. Now, if that was his will for me and I walked that out, then that's one thing. But that wasn't his plan for me. See? And it took me a long time and a lot of sacrificing and a lot of giving something up that I thought was mine and and I was so tied to that. Had to give certain things up so that I could fulfill his plan and now I can say today, the joy in my heart to walk out and walk through and, 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 and deliver things in my life in ways that I never could have done in the golf world because I was all about the game rich young ruler all he had to do was get rid of the money so that money could come in the right way for him it controlled him what I had to do was get rid of I'm just using this as an example like golf I had to get rid of the golf so that I could enjoy I can enjoy golf today but I can enjoy doing what I'm doing because I didn't really enjoy playing golf I played it because my dad was a pro and I was I felt this obligation to do it but I didn't really enjoy it but I'd, know, I'd rather do nothing else in life than this right here because it's his plan for my life. And the same thing with you. No matter what it is that controls us at times, there are sacrifices that have to be made, but they're being made for the good of others. We, as we sacrifice and we take on his will and his plan, there's no end to what we can do. Amen? And then we, then we, then we walk on the leaves and not trample the blood of Jesus. We want the blood of Jesus working for us on a day-to-day basis. Can you say amen to that? Father, we thank you.